0: Hey friends, I'm Christine Chappell, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, we're bringing you a recent Facebook Live panel discussion about the lost theology of biblical friendship. The conversation features Jen Chen, Shannon McCoy, and Fawn Kemble. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. My name is Christine Chapel. I am the host of IBCD's Hope and Help podcast. And with me tonight, I have Fawn Kemble, Jen Chen, and Shannon McCoy. I would love to give each lady an opportunity to introduce themselves so that you can get familiar with who they are. And so Fawn, why don't we ask you to go ahead and lead us out with an introduction?
1: I'm I'm a school librarian and a former high school English teacher. Um, I also have my master's degree in biblical counseling from the master's college. I'm now a university and um, I minister through my church which is called Living Faith AV. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I also have, uh, sorry. That's okay, go ahead. <laughs> I also have a blog called AwkwardSpinster.com, where I talk about all things having to do with singleness and the modern church. Awesome. And Jen, will you introduce yourself?
2: Hi, yes. I'm Jen Chen. I serve as a biblical counselor at my church, Lighthouse Community Church in Torrance. And I received my MABC in 2019 from the Master Seminary. Uh, Prior to that, I had been licensed as a clinical psychologist and also have a master's in marriage and family. I am certified by ACBC and also a member of the biblical counseling coalition.
0: Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Jen. I'm really excited to get to hear from you and Fawn as well. Um, And last but certainly not least, Shannon, would you introduce yourself?
3: Yes, I'm Shannon McCoy. I currently live in San Diego, California. I also went to MABC with Fawn. I graduated in 2009, and I've been counseling at my church in Valley Center. I write for the BCC as well, and an IBC blog post.
0: Yes, and we are very appreciative of that. And actually, as a side note, I have been trying to interview Shannon for the podcast (laughs) for some time. And we always get interrupted or a pandemic happens and we have to reschedule. And so I know it's crazy, but life happens. I know, but I think we have it scheduled for the fall to talk about one of your mini books. And so I'm really excited and look forward to that conversation. Let's go ahead and get started on tonight's conversation. I'm going to ask Fawn the very first question. And so Fawn, why is biblical friendship so important for those who are walking through seasons of grief? Can you talk about that and some of the best ways that we can actually be a good friend for someone who is in the grieving process?
1: I had the opportunity to lead a grief share group for a couple of years, and I myself have walked through a lot of grief um, myself and with friends and and counselees and one of the things that happens when you're grieving is um, you draw away from friends and friends draw away from you. Um, grief is a really complex season of life and we are not good friends when we're grieving. We um, sometimes like to isolate. And so if you have people who are friends but don't know what biblical friendship is, they don't have that deeper um, selfless care for you. It's easy for them to pull away. Sometimes well-meaning, sometimes thinking they need the space or I don't know what to say, or I'm going to say the wrong thing. But also there's this very modern perspective of friendship where, oh, if you're not good for me, then I'm going to cut you out of my life. Um, Or if you're too complex or it's too messy, it's just not good for me right now. And unfortunately grief is messy. And so you do have a lot of friends pulling pulling away from that. And it's hard. I, I totally understand people wanting to do that. Walking through grief with someone is um, complicated and long. You know, it's years long. So, um, biblical friendship is really a, a good solution for that because it's the kind of friendship where you step into the mess, you walk through the mess. You don't have to have exactly the right thing to say, but you're there, you're committed, you are intentional. So that's why a biblical friendship is is so important. We also can share truths instead of platitudes, and that is something so important in a time when when you're grieving, there are physiological and mental um, kind of disabilities that occur. Like there's evidence, scientific evidence, that shows that the brain is not actively doing what it's supposed to. You forget things more. You're in the fog. Um, that comes from a lot of different things. You, you have trouble processing things the same way. And so it's very easy to get into a mode where you're only seeing the negative. And so to have friends offer hope with patience and love, but offer a true hope. There's a, it's really easy to say, oh, it'll get better, or give it time, but these things aren't actually true. They're not truths, they're platitudes. They don't mean anything. So a a biblical friendship, that person, those people can step in and gently and carefully in bite-sized tiny pieces if necessary can share the biblical hope that we have of a Christ, a Savior who is a man of sorrows, who walked through grief with us, who is there with us. They can lament in a way that the world can't because a true lament is crying out to God. It requires someone to cry out to. And they can cry out with you. They can teach you how to do that. Um, They can accept you when you're flawed and and walk you through forgiveness if needed. They can, all all of these things that require Christ um, and that's something that biblical friends can do.
0: Yeah, I really resonate with a lot of what you're talking about. Ladies, do you have anything to add to Fawn's answer to that question?
2: I would love to know how you discern between uh, platitudes and truth, because they can look similar.
1: That's a, that's a tough one. And I, I guarantee when you're walking through grief with a friend, you will say the wrong thing. You're going to put your foot in your mouth because the, the honest truth is there is no good thing to say when someone loses a loved one. That nothing will make it better. <laughs> Their loved one is gone and you can't fix it. And as a counselor, that's really hard. I want to jump in and fix everything. So you have to go in knowing that you're going to say some wrong things, but hopefully you can try to say fewer wrong things. And one of the things to is to think before you speak <laughs> which is not a human natural tendency, <laughs> um, those taking those thoughts captive before they fly out of our mouths. Um, and one that question you can ask yourself is, what does this really mean? So if I say, give it time, it will get better, pause and think, what does that really mean? Because 10 years from now, my friend's husband will still be dead. <laughs> that is not gonna be better. So pause and think, what do you really want to say there? And there are things that you can say, like when I was talking about lamenting, you can say, this is really awful. You can say, I'm so sorry your loved one has died. That's terrible. Just honestly admitting that it's terrible is a huge step for Christians. We like to say, well, maybe it's not so bad. Well, there's, you know, at least you had a husband for that many years. At least, you know, we like to hate the rosier side. So to admit, you know what, this sucks. This is awful, this is hard. And you know what, God, he also thinks this is terrible. He hates death. He came to conquer death. Christ cried when his best friend died, even though he knew he was gonna raise him from the dead like 10 seconds later. This is terrible, but I'm there with you and Jesus is with you and he loves you and we're gonna get through this together. That is huge for those initial times. So trying to just throw out the feel good things and think maybe feeling good isn't actually the right thing right now because the honest answer is grief is the appropriate response to losing someone. Grief is an appropriate response. We like to shuff, shuffle it off to the side and like get over it, but. Actually, grief and lament are good things. They're valuable and they can grow us in Christ in ways nothing else can. Does that answer yeah. your question, Jen?
2: Yeah. No, and as you were speaking, I was just really remembering I lost my father um about three, four years ago. And you know, I have biblical counseling friends, but one of the most powerful ministries to me was a non-biblical counseling friend, and we went to dinner. And I started to share with her, though, this is what I'm learning about God. And And she's like, stop. And then she's like, I'm so sorry, your father is gone. And she just wept. And then I just wept. And that just ministered to me, I think, more than anything anybody else said. I mean, of course, the truths of scripture and who God is and all that were important. But her for just to weep with me was, yeah.
0: I had a conversation with author Nancy Guthrie on the podcast and I really appreciated the point she made that pretty much ties into what you guys are talking about that that grief can act as a hurdle in relationships. And until that grief is acknowledged in the ways that you ladies are talking about, that hurdle remains up. You know, there's that awkwardness there's that, I don't know if I really want to talk about this. It's probably going to make you sad as if you aren't already sad. Um, and so she just t- told a story about uh, someone who came up to her in a car line. I think it was a friend that she had. And just that person coming up and saying, you know what? I, I'm really sorry about the fact that your baby died. And I don't have the words and I just." this is awful and I'm sorry and she just like you guys said it talked about how much of a comfort that was just to have it be acknowledged by someone um I think that this speaks volumes and so I appreciate you guys sharing those insights Shannon did you have anything to add before we move on this is just pertinent for any loss that
3: we have for that to be acknowledged even if it's like oh I lost my cat you know that's important as you know as well so I like that um, piece of information, yeah.
0: Well, let's move on to the next question. I'm gonna get Fawn off the hot seat for a a few minutes and move on to Jen. Now, Jen was going to be presenting a workshop that taught about friendship in the context of marriage. And so, Jen, can you help us understand why friendship between husband and wife is an important part of a thriving marriage relationship?
2: yeah before i answered it fully i wanted to talk about more of a working definition of marriage and i heard this from pastor rick rodehaver and he said that it's a lifelong covenant of fellowship between a man and a woman given by god to display and extend his glory and so just you know going back into scripture that in genesis you know god wanted to make a helper fit for adam and then when eve was created adam responded with this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and then it goes on to say and therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and so this idea of this friendship as as one flesh and so also going into Song of Solomon, um, you know, which is really God's view of romance and marriage. And I love how in uh, three verse chapter three, verse four, it says, I found him who my soul loves. And I was looking at what does this mean? And one Bible dictionary defined this as the deepest possible expression of a personality and the closeness of personal relationships and closeness would involve not just um, you know taking care of the household, sharing things together, but but friendship. And so, also in, in Song of Solomon, it says in chapter five, verse th- verse 16, uh, "This is my beloved, and this is my friend." And so, part of our one flesh helping relationship is being a good friend. And so, sorry, I'm a total Bible nerd, but looking up the word "friend." that it's in Hebrew, it's this really powerful word that comes with this root to associate, to be friends with, to be a companion to. And so, you know, our deep friends are someone that we share our greatest joys, our deepest sour, our deepest sorrows, ones that help us um, face together challenges and um, helps, you know, point us to Christ and sanctification in the midst of that. And so my, my last part of, I really like, um, I was looking at Holman's Treasury of Key Bible Words, and they took a lot from Proverbs, and so in 27.6, a true friend always shows candor and critique that can be trusted. Although they wound you, you can trust them. And then in 27.9, a faithful friend can be counted on for counsel that is pleasant to hear. Um, In 17.7, the mind of a friend sharpens one's own understanding, um and some other verses i'm not going to name them all a friend speaks a proper word at the appropriate time and then finally in 1824 a friend who sticks closer than a brother but it's just this unique french it's this unique relationship where we're one fresh but we're also friends
0: you know you just shared a whole lot of scriptures that are very helpful and it makes me wonder you know if the bible has it seems so much to say about the t- subject of friendship and marriage. Why do you think it appears as though it is such an often neglected aspect of the marriage relationship?
2: I think from kind of uh, outside of the Bible thing that in culture, or we get other sources to tell us what marriage is. And I mean, I for me, you know, growing up with the Disney image of you know, and they lived happily ever after, you know, and so marriage equals living happily ever after. Um, popular culture could be telling us that marriage is about meeting our needs and about feeling love and you know if either of these are gone then it's okay to dissolve the marriage um and then i think even in biblical sometimes we think of the excellent wife in proverbs 31 you know who manages the household you know has a strength of character fears the lord and so it could be easy as a wife you know, to get caught up in managing our home, raising our children, taking care of ourselves physically or being attractive to our husband, being involved in our female friendships. And then we forget to actually befriend our husband and be that, uh, in Song of Solomon, you know, this is my beloved and this is my friend.
0: In biblical counseling that I was a part of, I learned the term spiritual oneness And for some reason that took on a whole new flavor other than one flesh and it encompassed friendship and being attuned to your spouse's spiritual needs and that you're there to try to help them to thrive spiritually. Um, And that just, I I don't know if i just was thick headed to it because I have read a lot of marriage books, but for some reason only in the last year or so has the the spirit really helped open my, my eyes to see the value of being a friend to my spouse and so i appreciate you shedding some light on that and i I do have a couple more questions for you on that topic but i'm going to circle back around and let shannon have some of the face time for the questions for a few minutes so thank you for sharing them with us jen on that now shannon I would love for you to address something that I think is very relevant for what is going on in our culture. No, not country. that one. Not that one. I don't want to talk about that. I, not, I'm, not. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm, I'm just like kidding.
2: <laughs> I'm dive right like, in
0: yeah I'm not trying to have any, um, any no let's yeah. go for it okay but I think it's how <laughs> these are helpful conversations and so I would just love to listen to you share your biblical perspective on the importance of cultural diversity in friendships and how they actually when we are pursuing cultural diversity in our friendships how that actually reflects the kinds of Christian communities that we even see in the scriptures can you talk a little bit about that yeah for such a time as this
3: right 2020 is the best time to be talking about this when uh forget who gave me uh at ibcd who gave me the question that particular topic i was thinking what am i going to talk about because that was last year and i'm thinking that wasn't you know in the headlines or anything or as obvious as it is today so now i'm thinking um, which was kind of similar, but the basis of it is, as we know, Genesis 1, 27, we all know that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. This is the foundation for any relationship that we have, because that image, we're image bearers. that brings, it's, a, it's an innate human dignity, worth, value that God has given to every single person who has ever been created. So that's, that's the foundation. So when it comes to diversity, I, I believe you know, a monolithic culture or ethnic group is deprived of the knowledge and wisdom of other groups. We all have blind spots, right? We all have blind spots. We all have prejudices. It's like we're just, we like our comfort. That's just human nature. We like our comfort. So any anytime God gives us a command in the Bible, we should already know we are incapable of doing it on our own. We need his help. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to do what he's calling us to do. And this includes, you know, cultural diversity. So we know that Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus right now that seems super impossible in this climate to become one in christ jesus and we're just talking about christians right so we need the holy spirit to help us to draw us to teach us to show us how do we do this so i'm hoping with christine and fawn and jen that we get some biblical counseling books written you know on based on this if we don't have anything to go to wouldn't it be awesome to have something to go to right now biblical counseling wise there are books out there but got to get that going but when we talk about the gospel so we need to keep it like you don't want to think about it as oh gosh i need some diverse friends in my. let me go find someone you know it's not about that it's really everything we do is gospel motivated so What are some aspects of the gospel that we should think about? And I, there are three that I have love unity and humility. So love is a motivating, is a gospel motivation, right? Matthew 22, 37 through 39, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is the second greatest commandment?
2: Love your neighbor as yourself.
3: Love your neighbor as yourself. How, How do we do that? love your neighbor as yourself we go back to that image bearer to that human dignity that everybody has worth no matter what you look like no matter you know if you have disabilities no matter what education level you have we're all one in christ so that's love and then unity first corinthians 110 i appeal to you brothers by the name of our lord jesus christ that all of you agree What, Lord, all of us agree, really? That there be no divisions among you. This is in scripture, right? But you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That means we have work to do in Christ. Um it's we have the in terms of whatever our comfort zones are, we have learned some skills in order to get along with each other, get unify in that in that setting which can be difficult as well but then to go outside of that you know use the skills that we already you know built in those in our in our comfort zones third one humility first peter 5 5 clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble i don't looking on the facebook comments social media comments I don't think we believe that God opposes the proud gives grace to the humble. Um, I mean, I'm myself included, you know, it's like, this is hard work, but it's, it's because of Christ, it is worth it. And that's what I want. I want what he is calling us uh, to do.
0: Well, in light of, you know, the, the biblical perspective on the topic, um, Shannon, what are some practical ways that we can be intentional about, fostering cultural diversity. Um, and I think I would even admit, you know, my own fumbling. You know, I might have that desire. Like, I really, I, I mean, I moved from Southern California, not too far away from you, um, Shannon. I lived in Temecula, just north of San Diego County. And I had a church body that was very diverse. And I, I live in South Carolina now. when and it's not as diverse as it was back there and so i do long for that but i think sometimes even and i'm just talking about my, myself and maybe others can relate i feel that nervousness about i don't want to come across as like i i'm some fumbling buffoon you know trying to make new friends but I, I just it can feel awkward because i do want to have more culturally diverse relationships a lot of people
3: feel that way it's okay. funny because i i came from uh, rock hill south carolina to California. So I, I grew up with, you know, it's, it's different, you know, it's the demographics are are a little bit different than when I was growing up. Uh so there's a little bit more diversity where you are, but yeah, uh, it depends on where you go. So it is hard in spaces like that, right? It's it is hard to like, how do I do this? So number one, we have to always pray. So what we what we what we forget or what we think is like, Okay, here's a problem. Let me go fix it. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Give me the one, two, threes. You know, first take a breath, get in your space and pray. Ask God, just like what you shared. your you shared your heart, Christine. It's like I I feel like I'm fumbling. I'm go before God with that and trust that in his power, he will guide you. He he won't, you don't have to change who you are. That's the beauty of it. We don't have to change who we are. God made us different. He made, you know, different cultures reflect the beauty of God. That's how expansive his love is. So you, as you are, me as I am, and you guys as you are, it's like we have so much to give to, another, to other people. So in our space, we pray asking God, this is it. These are my circumstances, Lord. I'm in, the, I'm in a cornfield. How can I have diverse friends? God is able to do that. So you think about that, then you 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 be expectant. So after you pray, you expect God to show you what to do. You expect God to do his stuff that he does. You know, it's amazing. He works things all behind the scenes before we even realize it, right? Mm-hmm. So He's like been working that all along. That's how I meet so many awesome people. Just think about biblical counseling. Somebody right now is studying biblical counseling, We don't know yet, but at some point, Christine, you're going to be interviewing that person and make that connection. So be expectant that God is going to do it. God is going to show you, keep your eyes open. So that's the third one, be open. So be open wherever you go, go into the grocery store, you go into wherever. So it's like you're, you're, you're just aware of people because they're image bearers walking around in a parking lot. You can meet someone so different than you. It's like, I never would have rubbed elbows with this person before. I wouldn't have noticed this person before, but because you're praying about it, you're being expected, you're open to it. It's like, this was under my nose the whole time. So, and also your talent. So you already have, like, we all have gifts and talents. Um, I don't think we have to go way out of our way, but where do you work? Like open your eyes to where you work, who's, who's there. Um, whatever you do, where you, you, you your hobbies, wherever you go for your hobbies, you know, it's every once you your eyes are open, you'll see this is everywhere. And then especially online. We can have so many great friendships across the world online. So be open,
0: be aware uh with, to that in that way too. Those are really helpful insights, Shannon. Thank you for, for being patient <laughs> with me sharing and, and for giving a gracious response. I appreciate that. Fawn or Jen, do you Either of you have anything to add on on this particular topic, uh, things that you've come across in counseling
1: or just personally that you would like to add? One way that um, we can echo humility, like you were talking about, Shannon, is by listening and reading and seeking out biblical advice from people of color. There are a lot of incredible Black theologians out there, men and women. There are biblical counselors. There are just incredible people writing and blogging and podcasting. As, as Shannon said, this is an incredible time for this. There's There are more book lists available than I've ever seen in my life. And as a librarian, my little heart just goes pitter-pat. You know, publishers are looking for, for opportunities for children's books featuring people of color. And we've been, librarians have been saying, yeah, we needed this, like, 20 years ago so this is a great opportunity to to you know find a a, one of those book lists from someone you trust grab a book read it but read it with uh, the the humble heart read it as somebody who wants to learn read it with an open mind and the idea that honestly the way we have been raised it is one perspective it's one way of being raised it's it's one way of looking at the situation going on in America. The the way we were educated is, you know, one-sided. Our history books are one-sided and just books are a great way, book talks, book groups. Um, I would encourage you maybe to see if your local library has an online book group right now because a lot of local libraries are doing Zoom book groups and that's a great way of meeting people in your community of different backgrounds and different races and a lot of them are having like african american history books or you know classic literature from people of color so there are ways to reach outside of it and um i think just the the humble listening the this might be the time for us to just shut up and learn a little bit from the amazing men and women like shannon i you know her her blog just the things she writes just have blessed me so much as well as many other friends of mine who are writing and speaking so i think that's one way where we can echo that humility by um respecting the voices that are out there There there's so many incredible people working on this right now
0: yeah definitely a time to practice you know humility And and it's applicable to what we're talking about today just the broader context of friendship how do we How do we be a good friend, a biblical friend to someone who is dealing with a particular challenge or struggle, um, whatever that context might look like. And number one thing is carrying their burden and entering into their pain. And you cannot, or at least you're gonna be hindered in doing that if you try and you're not having a humble spirit or a compassionate ear who seeks to understand and to listen to that person's experiences and to draw out the heart uh, to engage it with the gospel of Jesus Christ when that timing is right. Jen, did you have anything to add to those two uh, responses?
2: I do. Um, I think one thing that came to mind when Fawn was thinking or speaking that, you know what, sometimes you are going to say awkward things or be awkward and say the wrong thing, but that's not the thing that should stop you from engaging. Um, but being aware and even saying, hey, this might be awkward um, and I'm sorry. Um, and I hope that that doesn't, you know, get in the way of us getting to know each other. And I guess part of that for me, too, comes from I've actually worked in the inner city uh, since 2004. And it's primarily African-American and Latino-Latina culture. And just um, there's been ruptures between Asian-American culture and, and African-American culture. and um, but these relationships that I've built, part of it has been understanding, um, and not necessarily, um, I think, because I come from a a, a more of a a communal culture as opposed to a more American individualistic culture, like I can recognize that um, people who look like me or who I might represent have caused harm to people who may look like the person I'm meeting with, and not that I am to blame for that harm or that rupture, but I want to take some responsibility to hear the pain um, and acknowledge that as part of reconciling what might have happened between their people and people who might, you know, look like me, or and as a way to bridge or a reconciliation for them and for me. Oh, really. Um,
0: Really helpful insights. Thank you all for sharing on that. I really hope that that is an encouragement to the listeners. Of course, a tremendously huge topic and we're only scratching the surface, but hopefully at the IBCD conference, when it is rescheduled, you can come and listen to Shannon speak on friendship and cultural diversity. And you can listen to it for probably what, an hour or so maybe, right?
3: (laughs) I think so. I think it is an hour.
0: Yeah, yeah. So definitely, um, you know, we're just wetting the whistle, I guess you could say, um, in regards to this particular topic. Now, Fawn, I'm going to circle back around to you. What are some challenges that single people face in terms of fostering relationships within the local church? I think one
1: of the biggest challenges is just sort of being overlooked. Um, When we go to church, people will be really friendly to us and say hi and whatever, you know, two second to three minute period of meet and greet time. People are happy to shake your hand on a good day and when there's not coronavirus and they're ready to, you know, engage with you and say, hi, how are you? And they talked to you before and after church and then they go home and they go home to their families and their lives and their units, their family unit. Um, American life, at least white evangelical American life, which is something I grew up with, is very family unit based. People go to church and then they go home and they're in their backyard, they're at their house, they're doing their thing. They might involve themselves with other family units, but um, single people, widows, I have a lot of widows in my life, older widowers and widows who are single. Um, People who've been divorced and single parents uh, don't fall into that category of the family unit. So we're often just overlooked because people just go to church and then they go to their life and they might go to Bible study and then they go to their life, not realizing that there are entire groups, probably about 50% of the church is not part of a family unit. So the other 50% kind of overlooks that because it's not their experience and they're literally just not aware of it. It's not a vindictive thing. It's just uh, I'm busy. I have my kids. I have my husband. I've got my life. I need to go home and get dinner ready. I have, you know, soccer practice this afternoon. We're very, and all of that revolves around the family unit. So that's been the biggest struggle for myself and most of the single people that I have um, ministered to over the years is just it's it's not a vicious thing. It's just not being thought of. Um, and we're not, we're often not mentioned in sermons. We're not, you know, most of the, most sermon illustrations are going to be, Oh, when you go home and you talk to your wife or it's about your wife and kids, your husband and ki-. well, it's, let's be honest, it's about your wife and kids. Cause it's a, a male pastor talk and they're almost all married. Um, and that's fine, but just, again, it's just that being overlooked. Um, and so that gets very isolating and it can cause a lot of loneliness, but it can also cause a lot of bitterness. And I've seen a lot of single people leave the church because of that exact thing. Nobody did something horrible to them. It was just years and years of them going every single Sunday and never actually connecting. So that the, the overlooked with our busy family unit based lives, there's a lot of other things too,
0: but that's, But just hearing you say that is just heartbreaking to me you know and so it really I the topic just pulls at my heartstrings and uh building off of that recognition and I know there's a lot more to it and, and we're trying to offer a little nugget in a short amount of time on a really big topic but what would some suggestions be then for the people in the local church who are not single to try to engage the singles in their church? How can we be biblical friends? What are some suggestions
1: that you would share? You know what, interestingly enough, this is an area where especially white evangelical culture could take a page out of, of um, churches of color who actually do this way better than we do. Um, but uh, I would start with Deuteronomy 1611. It says, uh, it's describing the Passover It's this beautiful description of the Passover, and it says, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. If we could take that as an example of how we should live every single Sunday, every week, If we could take instead of just you, your son and your daughter, if we added in all these random extraneous people like me, if you could adopt a few singles, single moms, single 90 year old widows, you know, the man who just went through a horrible divorce the 20 year old girl who's yearning to get married the 41 year old girl who's over it just all of this if you as married family units could just involve us in your lives. now this also requires single people to be flexible to be thrown into a family unit and not expect um everyone to have the same bandwidth we do, not expect to, we need, there's a lot of work we have to do on our part too. This isn't just a married thing. It's easy for us to be like, oh, my married friends never just want to go hang out. We can't go have dinner because they don't have a babysitter. No, we have to be willing to go to their house and forego a babysitter. We need to be willing to be part of the family, not just friends with that one person. But if married married folks and families could just make us part of their family permanently. (laughs) And that's the key. It's easy to invite us over for one dinner after Sunday, but to remember that we don't have like, especially when you're living in Los Angeles or a city like that, a lot of us don't have family there. Um, and we have a lot of needs. We, we need community as much as anyone else. So we do take some work, but a lot of that work is literally just remembering us. That's, Honestly, if you're like going out to dinner with your family after church, ask your single friend to come too. you know, if you have a friend who is like a single mom and you're going to go out and you have a babysitter coming, ask your single mom friend if the babysitter can watch her kids too together so she can go out maybe with you guys or by herself and just have a night to herself for once in her life, right? If you have an elderly man who lost his wife of like 60 years, ask him to go to Winchell's for coffee. They love donuts and coffee. Like I've had so many coffee dates with my little widowers. They love it. Cause they all like to wake up in the morning. I'm not a morning person, but the key is just to set aside our own busyness and our comfort enough to think about the other people who don't have the same lifestyle we do. And, um, Invite them to be part of life. So for women, one way to do this is to allow single women to become friends with your whole family, which includes your husband. Which is a weird thing in the church because sometimes they're like, "Oh, I don't want my husband being friends with single women. Get over that. That's ridiculous." You do need to. There's things to do, but invite them over to your house. Let us let us involve ourselves. Let us see what it's like to have kids and, you know, become the weird single auntie. Um, I have a ton of God children, I am blessed, I have been blessed to actually be the recipient of incredible families who have adopted me into their lives. And um, I'll go, you know, spend the night and, you know, play with the kids during the day, and then once the kids go to bed, stay up and talk theology with the, the adults and, you know, crash on the couch and then wake up the next morning and have breakfast with a crazy, chaotic family um so it's a beautiful thing when it does happen but sadly i think people just don't think about it because we're such a busy culture and our busyness is so focused on just the family unit
0: yeah i would agree with that last statement that was my that's my experience it wasn't until i read sam albury's book about the topic that i like i said my heart was just broken about how ignorant i was it's like how could i even have missed all this Uh, Someone else's, the pain and and to some degree, even some of the suffering that that someone experiences when they feel like they're, you know, on the outside looking in at a lot of good things. I'm just really thankful for biblical conversations about the topic. I think it's needed, and I'm, I'm thankful for the insights that you shared. Does anyone else have anything to add to the topic of singleness in the church, how we can be good friends to the singles in our church? To some
3: degree, I think the way we do church, you know, an hour, hour and a half, well, you know, a black church, a couple of hours, you know, uh, it's, it's the way we do church that I think don't allow us to think about others. You know, we talk about diversity, we talk about the singles, we talk about people with impairments, physical impairments, people who are part of hearing, it's like, we just don't think about that because we want to show up at our little one hour and a half thing and say hi to everybody and then get on with our day what if we did sunday a little differently there's something to think about so how can how can that change where things aren't like with with kids or things aren't scheduled on sunday so that you can have you make that a priority of having this family type environment at church even before everyone goes home. I don't know, just, you know, some thoughts to throw out. How can we start to pay attention to what's going on around us? Jen, do you
0: have anything to add?
2: Yeah, I, I think one of our, the things that our church tries to do is have integrated small groups in the sense of having different people from different phases of life and everything so that we're not just, yeah, family-focused. And yeah, just to, you know, in counseling, hearing the plight of, people who are single and wrestling with that and yeah it is a tough situation and it is sad that you know where they should feel the most um included or loved on like they end up feeling even more alienated is very sad
3: yeah yeah but for the family unit I know that it's it's tough you know families are breaking apart and it's important that they too have their Focusing on their unit as well, but somehow, you know, figuring out how can we, you know, do that balance there.
0: Absolutely, So a lot of work needed in the church to to serve the singles well. But good progress, and discussions like this help just to bring awareness. Let's go ahead and ask and circle back around to Jen on the topic of friendship in marriage. Now, Jen, you gave us a biblical basis and you talked about some of the reasons why we may not really consider investing in our friendship in the context of marriage what can we do to actively okay now that we've recognized let's say we're listening to this we say oh that's i need to be investing in in my relationship with my husband or my spouse what what does that even look like can you offer us some biblical insights for being practical and proactive in that manner
2: First of all, being aware of some of the stumbling blocks, and which most of all is our worship. Paul Tripps mentioned that we are either living for God's you know, capital K kingdom, or we're usually battling for our lowercase little K kingdom. And so being aware of what we're worshiping, especially in our marriage, um, and that it's, you know, it's uh, having obtained my marriage and family degree that a lot of that was just about communication or terms like differentiation or healing from past hurts. But it really is about, you know, am I loving God? And then in my loving God, am I loving my neighbor? And then I think really just sometimes we have a shallow view of the gospel. And I think honestly, before biblical counseling, I had that too, and I'm still growing in it. But seeing the gospel as related to my marriage and that, you know, it is, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that same power that rose Christ from the dead is in us. And so being aware, most of all, of my need for that salvation, and then that bringing me humility. Um, and that bringing me what who my true savior is, and not making my husband Peter my savior, you know. And then... I'm not putting my hope in this person versus in the biblical hope, which is, you know, the confident expectation that God is going to be true to his character and he's going to be faithful to his promises regardless of what's happening in my marriage or not. And so also just making sure I'm not seeing him as the enemy, but am I seeing Satan as the enemy and my own sinful heart as the real enemies? And because if I blame him, I blame circumstances, you know that that's why I'm having problems in my marriage, then I get distracted from pressing into the grace of the gospel. And so as far as what practical ways to, to press into friendship on a daily basis, of course, because it's our worship, that first of all prioritizing our relationship with God, prioritizing our spiritual gro- uh, growth. And because then if God's truly my God, then I'm not looking to Peter to fill my, His God's place. And then I can love him with the love that I'm receiving. And then this next part is: lest you think I'm like super wife or anything. That these are from my pastoral staff. I reached out to them and said, "What practical things? You know, um, how does friendship look? You know?" And some of them, one. So one pastor, Pastor Gavin, reminded me, that, you know, that friendship is walking through the peaks and valleys of life together. So it's talking, sharing, listening, praying, living, experiencing, crying, waiting, journeying together, and knowing that this person is who God brought into my life so that we both can become more like Christ. Um, and so he really recommends just both he, actually another pastor, David, reminded me, you know, that quantity time begets quality time. So that relational intimacy, friendship with our husbands can't be hurried, that we need both those sorts of time. Um, They also all mention conversation, and not just about logistical things about how to run the household, how to raise the children, what we're going to do in ministry, but really talking about heart and life issues, and as well as what's showing a genuine active interest in what's important to them, even if you don't share that interest. Um, Hearing how they're processing through things and asking gentle questions without assuming that we we know the answers to them. Having this give and take in our conversations with them. Um, and asking yourself, am I dominating the conversation? Uh, I think as women, we might tend to do that. Um, also, a lot of them mentioned laughing together. And it's important to have a range of experiences with your husband. And I love that Peter and I, you know, we can have these deep conversations about God or these weeping conversations about how we are failing in our worship of him and we need more repentance in our life, Um, but that we can also just laugh at really silly things that just, you know, tickle our funny bones together and just crying because we're laughing so hard. Uh, Praying together. Do you know what your spouse needs prayer for? Do you know what your, your spouse would hope you to be praying for for them? Um, and and doing that together is a real act of intimacy. Um, and then this last one is not from the pastors, but the importance of sexual intimacy in marriage. And a lot of times, especially in the secular culture, sex has been separated from covenant, but sex is the ceremony that celebrates our covenant relationship. And just to know, you know, as as that males are hardwired, you know, they're, The organs are on the outside you know they're more visual that this is important to them for for most of them and so for us who may be more repressed or see it something as an, an untasteful duty can you begin to see it as a way to worship god and to see it as something that reflects the marriage union and love your husband we want to be really generous and tender and sometimes playful and on the other hand, if you are, have a greater appetite than your husband, can you be patient um, and not take his lack as reflecting on who you are as a woman? Um, it may be too that you need to be a helper to him, to um, help him teach, you, teach him how to give you more pleasure. Um, and then finally, just not comparing your own sexual life to somebody else's, but instead working out what's best for you and your husband but that's those are just, yeah some important things to consider in building that friendship with your husband.
0: Thank you for sharing those and especially the last few because I know that that is sometimes difficult uh, topic to bring up but i will point out if you are interested more in learning about a biblical perspective on marital intimacy ibcd does have audios from previous conferences that we've hosted on the topic i'm specifically thinking about a couple from caroline newheiser that you can go on the website to check out There are a lot of different things that can go wrong in a marriage and loneliness can spring up. And I know that Shannon was going to present on the topic of loneliness. And so I wonder if I might segue because we only have time for maybe one or two more questions to Shannon to see if she would actually talk about the topic of loneliness in the context of biblical friendship. So how, Shannon, do the scriptures actually serve to encourage those who feel isolated, unseen, or even disconnected? You know, Fawn was talking about that can be true for singles uh, in the marriage Context it can be true for even someone who's married and has someone sleeping in the same bed with them um, So what would your encouragements be uh, derived from the scriptures for someone who is battling loneliness in their season of life right now?
3: Well, what what comes to mind is uh, The verse that I had earlier, which was Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 39 It's hard to really give the whole picture of loneliness uh, with the time that we have but Loneliness is a is a feeling that we have when our perceived needs or expectations are not being met in our friendships, in our singleness, in our marriage, in the let's let's say the lack of diversity wherever we are. Those are different things can uh, make the feeling of loneliness come up, and I think that loneliness is an indicator of of what's going on in there. So when we think of Matthew twenty two. 37, the first one, love God, right? With all that we have. So when we are lonely, there's something going on, and this is part of the biblical counseling. If you're counseling somebody, you want to find out what's going on, why are they lonely? If you're talking about singleness, okay, then you you get their thoughts. What are you thinking? Okay, then you bring Christ into it. It's like, what does Christ say about this? What does the Bible say about this particular need that you're saying? Okay, sometimes we could say, Well, well. I'm I'm just unloved. I'm no one loves me. I'm just insignificant. Okay, so we can apply the gospel to that. And as Christians, we know that we are pilgrims here on this earth, and this there's a kingdom of God that we're bringing, you know, here that we are supposed to display here on earth. So it's not all about my needs and, you know, you know my expectations of. Oh, I just wanted this friend. I, we've all been hurt because we are human beings with a sin nature, you know, we get hurt and we get lonely because, you know, our friends are busy or, you know, like, like Vaughn was talking about, people just too busy, or maybe the friend just has a lot going on themselves. Like when you call your friend and you're ready to talk about you and she's talking about herself because something's going on and you get off the phone. It's like, I'm so empty still, you know, or, you know, it could be anything that, that someone's not meeting this lonely need. And I love the scripture. I don't have it written down where Jesus talks about, I am alone, but I'm not alone because God is with me. That verse, you know, Jesus was acknowledging that he is alone because he was about to be, you know, dying on the cross for our sins, but he knew he wasn't alone because God is with him. So
0: I would say, let loneliness. Oh, I found it. What is it? It's John 16:32 and he says behold the hour is coming indeed it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone yet I am not alone for the father is with me
3: yes and that is key to remember along with Proverbs 14:10 the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy so we cannot, uh, there are things in our hearts because deep down that only God can heal, only God can speak to. He uses other people in our lives to help us come to that. But use your time of loneliness, it's, it's, you know, God is sovereign. He knows you're alone. He knows there are people aren't uh, in your life right now that will keep, give you that company that you want. That is a time to run to him. It's not a time to go away from him. You know, this time of, of COVID, oh my goodness, you know, the world's shutting down. We've never experienced that before. So some people probably experienced loneliness loneliness for the first time, really. And people who had loneliness before, it was manifested. It was even, it was just gotten worse. So that is a time to really go to the Lord. You had no, no one else to go to, when, you know, when COVID, when the world was shut down. So that, that's, the, that's what God does. He gives us no other option, and, and, and it's, you know, marriage is very tough to be lonely in your marriage when that person is right there next to you. And all you're thinking about is the hurt and pain that this distance is causing you or you're single and you see families going off and you see, you know, what, what happens in church. <laughs> Marriages—they seem to be so affectionate, right? In church, something about the atmosphere of church that makes a couple so affectionate when they just was probably arguing on their way to church or something. So <laughs> it's, like, it's something you know. So people can look at that and, my God, why? Don't, you know, take that to the Lord. Let Him hear your pain. He He can handle it. But know that we're pilgrims passing through. You know, we are. We may be alone, but God is with us. Um, no one could, could reach that core that you're, you want, you're wanting somebody to do. We already know that. A, a husband can't do that. Um, even the best, best friend can't do that all the time. So, so yeah, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, to grow, to go deeper with the Lord in your relationship and find out how he meets those needs supernaturally. You may not ever see it on earth, but he meets it supernaturally.
0: Jen or Fawn, do either of you have anything to add in on the topic of loneliness?
1: Again, is the man of sorrows and because he came to earth when he was part of this trinity for eternity and he left that and came to earth, I think he has experienced loneliness in a way that no one else will ever understand. Um, and I think we see that even when he was in the midst of 12 disciples with all of his friends and followers he still had these moments where you can just see the loneliness there. And so encouraging somebody who, who lives with loneliness, um, especially the people who do live with it full time. Like again, the the elderly singles who are, especially right now, like quarantine for 14 days, if they leave their old folks home, like literally can't see anyone. Or I have a dear friend who has um, severe chronic health issues and she has to She stays at home all day long. So there are people who loneliness will be their life. And for them to realize it was Christ's life too, and they can turn to him. And I think looking at scripture and memorizing verses, and also again, getting back to lament, pouring your soul out to God, and knowing that he understands and as Shannon said, the realization you're you're not alone. He is there in that room with you and encouraging people who are really going through kind of the permanent loneliness to talk to him like a real person <laughs> because he is. And he, he can be their best friend. He can be their father. He can be, you know, he's the father to the fatherless. He's the husband to the widow. Um, they can talk to him in the same way and yet get even deeper perfect understanding. Jen, do you have anything to
0: add?
2: I was also just thinking uh, especially for, you know, people who are married in in a very uh, difficult marriage and that that type of loneliness of groaning and acknowledging this is not the final end that um, this is a preparation for eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension, that this is, yes, groaning now and remembering future glory. And just this reminder, this isn't our final home and don't put our hopes in this place.
0: Well, I am super thankful for this conversation. I had a few more questions, but boy, I know we could talk for hours. And I think that we are good, probably going to wrap it up at this point. I want to thank each of you ladies for being here for this conversation. Thank you. Excel. <laughs> thank you so much for watching. We'll see you again real soon. Thanks, Christine. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help there you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.